The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's the crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brave. Crossover, step back! Ah! Right here on 960theref.com. What's up, Athens? And, well, really anywhere. The world. The world, yeah. exactly, because this is a podcast, and it is on 960theref.com. The crossover, episode number four, I believe, is where we're at right now. So, uh, definitely pretty cool. May the fourth be with you, Sam. That's exactly right, that we've gotten that far along here with the crossover podcast on 960theref.com. That voice you heard a second ago, Chris Bram. I'm Sam Franco. Definitely pumped to be back with another exciting edition, and we uh, have plenty to get to today. We'll talk a little NBA with the conference finals going on right now. We'll also talk some NBA draft lottery and how the Boston Celtics are in the Eastern Conference Finals and have the number one pick in the upcoming NBA draft. We'll also talk about Freddie Freeman, who is really working his way into being not just one of the best hitters in the National League, but one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball. So we'll get to all that on today's edition of the crossover. We'll start in the NBA, though, where we record this on Wednesday. So tonight will be game one of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Cavs and the Boston Celtics. And last night, which was Tuesday, a just thumping of the Spurs by the Warriors after Kawhi Leonard went down in game one. And that series looks over unless Kawhi Leonard can somehow come back and play. They do have a lot of time off between now and Saturday when Game 3 is, but certainly that series took a drastic turn when Kawhi Leonard went down, whether you believe Zaza Pachulia engaged in the dirty play or not. Well, let's do the math real fast. It was a 22-point turnaround basically at the point that, uh, that Kawhi got hurt in the third quarter of that game, and then they outscored him by 36 points last night, so... Uh, what is it, 22 plus 36 equals, what, 58? That's so, correct, yeah. I mean, they've outscored them by 58 points in basically a game and a half uh, since Kawhi Leonard got hurt. And, you know, throw on top of that, too, the Spurs are already going to be playing without Tony Parker. So they're down two starters essentially now in this series. And, uh, I mean, yeah, if, if Leonard's not going to play, they might as well cancel it. It's uh, over. Yeah, absolutely. They have no shot, and, and they just looked completely uninspired, completely out of it in that game to – and it's unfortunate because with Kawhi Leonard, the Spurs were up 25 at one point in that game against the Warriors in game one, and then he goes down, and it, it stinks because you think that the Spurs, with one of the best players in the NBA, probably the best two-way player in the NBA, although when LeBron James decides he wants to play defense, he, of course, is the best two-way player in the NBA, but Kawhi Leonard is, is kind of more known for that defense so a player that can play on both ends the way that he can and and a player that really kind of flew under the radar for a while and then exploded into one of the top five players in the NBA and so for the Spurs not to have him obviously that is a huge huge blow and it's funny though because they didn't have him and they blew out the Rockets in game six and they didn't have him and they got blown out by the Warriors in game number two here of the Eastern or the Western Conference Finals so I think that also just goes to show you the the disparity between, you know, the Rockets, who a lot of people are like, hey, they could contend for, you know, a title, and then the Warriors, who right now are clearly the best team in the NBA and the Cavs not that far behind. Yeah, I mean, you said it, Golden State just is, is way better than Houston, but, 
you know, probably it's deflating to San Antonio, too, because if Leonard's not hurt at the worst, that series is 1-1 going back to San Antonio. Exactly. And uh, they feel like they're in really good shape. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking about this, too, now. And, I, I mean, I love, I love Greg Popovich, and, you know, obviously he is an all-time coach there. But I wonder if the – as as angry as he was afterwards, and maybe it felt like, you know, he's got his players back there, that he's – not just conceding that Zaza Pachulia didn't have some, you know, some malicious intent there to stick his foot out there. No, we'll see. Maybe Kawhi will, 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 will land on it and turn his ankle again. But, um, you know, at the same time, it's not this, you know, he wasn't really doing this rallying cry of, well, it's, it, it's, it sucks not to have him, but like Dick Vermeil. Right. Not that Greg Popovich needs to start breaking down and crying <laughs> about rallying around Kurt Warner and all that, but... You know, it's you've you've got Kawhi Leonard's back, but it doesn't necessarily maybe it doesn't translate into having the rest of the teams back. Whereas, like, yeah, I mean, our coach is right to be mad because we've got no chance without Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, and I was a little surprised by the fact that Zaza Pachulia didn't see any sort of discipline because I think Greg Popovich made a good point, although comparing manslaughter to a foul on a basketball court's a little extreme. But he did make a good point. There doesn't necessarily have to be intent for you to have done something wrong. And and it's being taught, and Greg Popovich alluded to this, it's being taught and it's being, you know, kind of passed down from the NBA League office. Hey, we don't want this happening anymore. And that's the stepping into guys when they're coming down off of a jump shot. Yeah. And so whether the play was dirty or not is kind of irrelevant. It still should have been disciplined because that kind of play needs to be eliminated from the game, you know? And, and, Popovich makes a point where Zaza took a second step, and if you watch the play over, he does. I mean, he's not looking at Leonard when he does it, but he does take another step towards Leonard. It's like, if you're the big down-low presence that Zaza Pachulia is supposed to be, why are you taking another step towards him after the shot's been released when you should be stepping away from him towards the basket to try to get the rebound yeah and he stuck his foot out there and yeah. you know somewhere in the vicinity of where you feel like he's gonna land and you know unfortunately in this instance it turned to turned his ankle which had already been hurt uh anyway and it is a shame because I think that uh, had a chance to be a good series that game was proving it up until that uh, point but now it's um, unless Leonard can come back when you said the next game is it uh, Saturday oh it is Saturday that's right so I guess the uh, the Cavs and Celtics will actually catch up to them. They'll play uh, Wednesday and then again on – or whenever you're listening to this, they right. may have already played, but um, then I guess Friday too. Yeah, and, and it just goes to a bigger discussion because obviously Kawhi Leonard going out isn't something we could have foreseen, but even with Kawhi Leonard, a lot of people still thought the Warriors are going to win this series, and nobody thinks that Boston is going to beat Cleveland. And Boston's the number one seed, so they're hosting game one – of that series, which is coming up again tonight when we're recording this on, on Wednesday. But if both series go the way now that we expect them to, I mean, can Boston get a game? Sure. But that, you would think, would go five games, maybe six if Boston is playing really, really well. But it looks now as if the Warriors could sweep the Spurs. So if these series end very quickly, and if the Warriors do go on to sweep the Spurs, they would have gone through the entire playoffs without losing a game. And Cleveland's in the same boat right now. If they were to sweep the Celtics, they would go through the entire playoffs up to the finals without losing a game. So it kind of goes to a, a bigger picture thing to look at here. Does the NBA have a problem? And obviously we've had the past two seasons, Cavs and Warriors. And I think it's a in the short term, it's not a problem because you want to see Cavs-Warriors part three. You want to see 
the rubber match. You want to see who ends up getting it. And I think a lot of people with the LeBron narrative of if, is LeBron the greatest player of all time or where does he stack when it comes to you know Jordan and Kareem and guys like that, LeBron really needs to beat the Warriors in the finals this year for legacy purposes. Like if he he did it once and that was last year and a lot of a lot of credit for that, but now that they've got Kevin Durant, I mean if LeBron was able to lead the Cavs to a NBA finals victory over this like this version of the Warriors, then a lot of people that are in the Jordan camp in terms of the Jordan versus LeBron debate and I'm one of them We'll definitely have some rethinking of the situation to do. Yeah, I mean, you'd start to to come around a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe things feel like they're evening up. But you know, as far as the NBA, I think like yes and no, it's a problem. Um, the no is easy. That I mean, the the whole season and even the playoffs are built around this one event, the NBA Finals. And the NBA's had it made now for six years, where they've been guaranteed to have LeBron James in their showcase series against another really good team from somewhere in the West. So the ratings are going to be uh, tremendous. But but then, yeah, then for the rest of the 82-game season and then even for the remainder of the playoffs when it just you feel this inevitability of what's the point of them, that uh, that's not a great thing necessarily. But, you know, in the end, it does work out perfect for the NBA to have the premier player on the planet, LeBron, guaranteed basically you're going to have him in the NBA finals every year I I think you know David Stern now Adam Silver are, are you know, more than happy to take that if he makes the finals this year which I don't know why I said if it'll be his seventh straight trip to the NBA finals yeah and I'm and Jeff and I on our afternoon show figured it uh figured it up at the beginning of the postseason and I and I don't know where I guess right now he would be at 80 and 20 with the eight wins they've got now. That's his record the last six now plus years against the Eastern Conference in the playoffs, 80 and 20. They lost twice last year, and I think twice the year before. He's only lost four games since coming back to Cleveland, and uh, and none this year. So whatever that is, that makes him now, just again, in the Eastern Conference, that puts him at 12, that puts him at 20 and four. Just in the Eastern Conference. And look, we as uh, as residents of the state of Georgia and, and me as a fan of the Hawks know good and well that just because you're the number one seed means absolutely nothing when going up against the Cleveland Cavaliers. No, and that's, that's what Boston feels like Atlanta from two years ago. Yep. And they even out Al, Al Horford on there to prove it. <laughs> but uh, And Atlanta did get swept. And I, I, if we, we do remember, Atlanta did have chances to win any of those first three games in that series. They the did. first three games were competitive. And then the last one, you know, it was it was over with once the Atlanta got down 3-0. But so that's where, okay, maybe Boston gets a game. Even Toronto did end up winning two last year. That that series wrapped up in six, but yeah, I mean the the the, the connection with with Boston being the one seed like Atlanta was two years ago, Atlanta got swept. I mean, it's the the same. We're heading the same the same place. Boston has no chance to win that thing. Absolutely. So for the Warriors and Cavs ser- series that inevitably is going to come up here pretty soon, I still feel like the Warriors should be the favorite just because LeBron is going to have to have games from Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love and, and J.R. Smith and some of these guys that are going to allow them to keep up with the Warriors scoring. Because, I mean, we saw this in, in Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals. They dropped 136 points. <laughs> yeah, and that's the the key. They've got so many of those guys between Green, Durant, uh, Curry, and then Thompson. Thompson. 
Uh, you know, and even a guy like Livingston that comes off the bench. And Andre Godala. Yeah. I mean, they've got so many of those Probably guys. Hurt, that, but still. Yeah, he hadn't played the last couple of games, but by the finals, he might be. Uh, and he was the MVP of the finals, remember, two years That's ago. Right. But, um, which was silly. I mean, LeBron still should have been the MVP. <laughs> even when they lost. Even when they lost, yeah. <laughs> but, um,. But that's, I mean, so if one of those guys is off, there's enough of the other ones to think not not all of them are going to be off. It's not like Houston the other night when Harden wasn't doing anything. And it turns out now he's being sued by Moses Malone Jr. Maybe that yes. had something to do with that funk that he was in. But um, but but here's the one area where I think, San, I mean, Golden State potentially is is vulnerable to Cleveland. And that is in the post where they've, where Andrew Bogut is now gone and they've got Zaza Pachulia because uh, Tristan Thompson, I believe Tristan Thompson has one of, if not the very best offensive rebounding rate in NBA playoff history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even Kevin Love down there in the post that I think Cleveland will have a, an advantage in the paint there against Golden State. But, you know, that might only matter if Golden State's missing. If they if they score 136 points, they're not missing that many shots anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just perimeter defense. I mean, you have to be able to play perimeter defense on the Warriors or else they're going to get buried because Kevin Durant is a guy that, yes, he's a great shooter, but he's also a slasher, can get to the basket. And one of the specialties of that team is whether it's Curry or whether it's Durant, when one of those guys decides to get to the basket, you've usually got – Kevin Durant or Steph Curry, whichever one isn't driving, and Clay Thompson kind of just standing out there waiting to catch the ball. Yeah, and Le- I mean LeBron can only cover one of those guys, and I assume it'll be Durant. I yes. know he worked on he, Curry a little bit last year, but that the, was with uh, no Durant the on the Warriors. Yeah, <laughs> so then what are you left with? Um, uh, Irving and Irving has Garden, gotten better Curry. defensively. I mean, I thought at times last season in the NBA Finals he did okay on Curry, and 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 that will help them, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it seems like the Warriors are just a defensive mismatch for anyone, and it's just because you're going to have open shooters if people try to collapse around somebody driving to the basket. Yeah. Now, if they miss, if they're missing, then I think Cleveland will have an edge uh, there. Maybe Cleveland could score a lot of cheap, easy points in the uh, in the paint there, but, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a slam dunk for Golden State because Cleveland will have the better player in the on the court every mm-hmm. time in LeBron, so... But they should be favored, I would imagine. Yeah, they definitely should, and and it's going to be a fun series to watch. There's no question about it. Uh, one thing that went down last night, again, we're recording on Wednesday, so this was Tuesday night, was the NBA draft lottery. And it's so funny because in, in the other sports in this country, the team with the worst record gets the number one overall pick. But the NBA, of course, mixed it up a little bit with this draft lottery, and watching it on TV is just miserable because they go to like ten commercial breaks before they like let you know. They like give you like an inch, and then they go to commercial break and they give you another inch. But anyway, when the dust settled, the Celtics got the number one pick because of the trade that they made with the Nets a few years back when they sent Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett to the Nets, and the Nets just pretty much gave them every draft pick they've ever had, and. That was such a terrible trade. I think that might end up being the worst trade in NBA history just because the Nets were trying to compete with the Heat at the time. Who in their right mind thought an aging Paul Pierce, aging Kevin Garnett, Joe Johnson, and Darren Williams would be able to compete with LeBron, Ray Allen, uh, you know, uh, Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. I mean, that was just a stupid trade to make. You're leveraging your entire future based on trying to compete at that moment, and you weren't going to be able to compete at that moment. So what was the point of doing that? That Russian billionaire thought it. 
was right. What's his name? <laughs> right, Mikhail Prokhorov. Yeah, Prokhorov. That's right. Yes. He was the one that I thought, I guess, had that bright idea. So, yeah. So, really, I mean, it would have worked out then. The worst team in the NBA would have had the number one pick, except now Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals owns it. But I, what, I'm, what I'm blown away by is the fact that the top three picks in the draft are the Celtics, the Lakers, and the Sixers. In the, when, the, when the NBA was the best pro sports league there was, which Those is in the, the 1980s, that's what it was all about. Absolutely. Lakers, and Celtics, and Sixers. It's funny. Dave and I were talking about this on the morning show, and he made that exact same point. It's like, it's crazy that those three teams are picking one, two, three, although the Celtics aren't picking that off merit. They had the best record in the NBA yeah. uh, over the course of the regular season. Really, the, the Sixers, the, the, here the they are again. best record in the East, rather. Yeah. But. The Sixers, here they are again. Yeah, and the Sixers, <laughs> the Sixers almost had the most incredible thing happen last night because if the Lakers had not gotten one of the top three picks, the Sixers would have gotten their pick. So in theory, the Sixers could have been picking third and fourth. Uh, but it didn't okay. end up happening that way. That's why Lakers... Magic Johnson was so fired up. Now. Right. The Lakers' pick was protected inside of the top three. So they're going to end up rigged. Probably with Lonzo Ball, uh, you would think. Uh, just although, So I'll is anyone this. screaming that it was rigged then? Because it sounds like it was rigged. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. But it's possible. But I will say this. The top two projected players in this draft are point guards. Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball. You know what the Celtics and Lakers don't need? Point guards. Point guards, yeah. So what do you do? And I've got a mock draft up here from CBSSports.com. Uh, this was done by Reed Forgrave for CBS Sports. And he's got the Celtics actually taking Jason Tatum from Duke with the number one overall pick, which would make sense because a point guard's not what they need. But if you're the Celtics, do you do that? Or do you make a trade, maybe try to get a Jimmy Butler for that number one pick and, and, and send that pick to Chicago? And I see that that's something that uh, the writer of this article, again, Reed Forgrave for CBSSports.com, says is that they could try and leverage that to the Bulls and get Jimmy Butler in return. But here's my thing about that. Why didn't you do that in the season when that was on the table? Because before the trade deadline, a lot of people thought that the Celtics would try and make that move anyway. So you could have, with Jimmy Butler on the Celtics team going into an Eastern Conference Finals, I would have definitely given them much more of a chance than against the the Cavs that are going to face them coming up here in the Eastern Conference Finals. So why wouldn't you have just done that then? I guess at that point, I mean, there you weren't 100% guaranteed. Boston would have had the number one pick. But they were still Chicago. had a, a top one, two, or three pick. Yeah. I mean, they, they were. I mean, just based on the fact that the Nets had the worst record in the league. Well, where are they projecting uh, Josh Jackson from Kansas, who's an interesting guy to me because I fifth uh, fifth to the king because I feel like he is considered one of the top prospects, but that's. You know, that's one of those where I know I fall into this trap, too, when we watch college football and try and associate it with the NFL draft. And you scratch your head sometimes about why guys you know that are so great in college aren't necessarily fits in the NFL. But when I watched uh, Kansas play this year, the best guy on the court was Frank Mason. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's Jackson who's considered the uh, the top prospect. And um, so I wonder if if he's got a potential to, to be number one, you know, bringing up your point about uh, the point guards and those teams that don't necessarily need them. I did already see that the Danny Ainge was floating out there that, uh, oh, no, we might be interested in Lonzo Ball, probably getting, <laughs> probably uh, convincing the Lakers, yeah, if you want to give us a couple draft picks for our first pick, we'll swap places with you. Yeah, and, and here's the thing, too. I mean, is Lonzo Ball, and he's a very good basketball player, but what happened the last time we saw Lonzo Ball out on a court? He was getting torched by De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, De'Aaron Fox, I know. So where's he projected? Uh, De'Aaron Fox, I'll just read some of these right now. Again, Jason Tatum from Duke projected to go number one, although the Celtics are in a very interesting position of what they can do with the pick. Uh, number two, again, this is from CBSSports.com, Lakers taking Lonzo Ball. 
Number three, the 76ers taking Markel Fultz, and they could use a point guard. That's like the first team inside the top three there. They could actually use a point guard. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, number four to the Suns. So pair him with Devin Booker out there who scored, what, 71 points in a game earlier this season. Uh, So you'll have some scoring there. I'll say this. Out of the top ten, the most intriguing pick I see here is number seven, uh, Malik Monk to the Timberwolves. Can you imagine? And they are already building such a good young nucleus with Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns. You throw Malik Monk in there, a very good three-point shooter that when he's on is almost just impossible to stop. That team looks like they could be very good. They do, and I guess I'm I'm kind of surprised they're still in the lottery that they're they haven't already taken at least a bit of a step forward. But they are an interesting team that you you'll notice during the regular season, like they'll pick off a few, like they'll win at Golden State, they'll beat San Antonio, they'll beat some of these top ten teams, even if overall they still end up out of the playoffs. So. They've got these little breadcrumbs and these little hints that they leave you during the season that they might be ready to take that next step. And they do have, I mean, like you, those guys you just mentioned, a uh, a good young nucleus. And then Tom Thibodeau is their head coach now, right? Isn't that who they that hired formerly yes. of the Bulls? Yes, although uh, you got to watch out with him because he's been known uh, from time to time to run a team into the ground. So that that's something to look out for there. But just with the NBA, I mean, it's it's so interesting – looking at, at the way that a draft can go down because, you know, some of these players work out and some don't. We've seen number one overall picks not be very good. Was it the the Cavs that took Anthony Bennett with the number one overall pick a few years yeah. back, and that didn't do anything, obviously. He's not even in the league anymore, I no. don't think. So that's the thing. I mean, it, it's, such a, it, it's such a hit-or-miss league, and the draft is only two rounds, but it's just so vital that you get that first-round pick correct because if you don't, it's going to set you back because look, this isn't the NFL where you know you're you're picking a bunch of different players and you have you know eleven players per side, offense or defense. You know this is a game where you have five players on the court for you at any given time, and then you know some more on the bench. So it's not it, the roster turnover is not near as great, and you've got to get these picks right. So for the the Celtics, I guess they have a, a good team right now. So. Do you try to continue to build for the future and, and take somebody with that number one pick? Or do you send it to someone and, you know, try and get a player that's ready to do it now? I'd probably try and trade it. Um, I know, like, the, I, the, the NBA's got this salary scale now, so I guess when it comes to – and I don't know what their salary situation is and what, if any, they'd have to dump to sign a number one overall pick. They might be in good shape, but – um, yeah, if you're Boston and you've already – you just signed Al Horford during the offseason, I know that. You've got Isaiah Thomas there. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd probably try and send it some, to some team that maybe is in uh, more need of, of having the number one overall pick. And you're like, really? I mean, just plant that little bug with the, uh, with the Lakers. I just think the Bulls are the perfect team if you want to try and get Jimmy Butler and add that score to what you already have and give the Bulls, who probably need to hit the reset button, something to think about there, that's what I would do. All right, we'll, Where's Jante uh, Maton projected? <laughs> He's not. Good. Which, Maybe uh, he'll come back. Which I did hear you and Adam talking about this on the home team the other day. You know, When do you start to get worried? Because uh, Jante Maton still hasn't uh, really said anything since he did not get that invite to the combine. Yeah, and you don't, you know, so you'd like to think that okay, well, I've I've explored my options. I'm not going to the combine. I mean, at this point, you have to pretty much know you're. It's only a two round draft. You're probably not going to get drafted. So, um, you know, 
decide to come back then. But it's now it's it's a week or less than a week, depending on May twenty fourth is the date. So whenever you're listening to this, yeah, and I'll say this uh, that uh, again is a week from today. So hopefully we'll have some interesting fodder to talk about on next week's podcast about Yante Mayton, hopefully returning to the dogs. Before we get out of here on this episode of the crossover podcast on 960theref.com, Sam Franco, Chris Bram along with you. Freddie Freeman, we've got to talk about him because he is on an unbelievable tear right now. In fact, uh, there's an article by David Shanefield of ESPN.com right now where Shanefield asks, is Freddie Freeman the best hitter in baseball? And you look at what he's doing this season. He just hit his 14th home run, which has him tied for the major league lead with Aaron Judge, that monster of a human being who plays for the Yankees right now. Um, Again, 14 apiece. But George Brett, going back to his 1980 season when he hit 390 and was an incredible baseball player, this was his average on base and slugging. 390, 454, 664, which is really good. This is Freddie Freeman right now. 343, so he's not average-wise up there, but he's got a 457 on base and a 754 slugging percentage. He is playing unbelievable baseball right now, and in the last calendar year, Freddie Freeman leads the majors in extra base hits with 95. The next closest is Charlie Blackman with 84, and I had to look up who Charlie Blackman even was. He plays for the Rockies. But 95 extra base hits. He has 11 more base, extra base hits in the last calendar year than the next closest guy. Yeah, and I think over if you break it out even over his last 162 games, it's he's got like 40-something home runs mm-hmm. uh, thrown in there. But, yeah, I mean, right now he, he appears to be the best hitter in uh, in baseball. He's absolutely locked in. He's homered, not in every series, but he has hit a home run against every team the Braves have played this right, season. Right, um, And so – uh, you know, will he win the MVP? I don't know. I mean, it might come down to how the Braves do overall. I know Bryce Harper's having a really good year too, and the Nationals are in uh, first place. But you know, Freeman is—he's a one-man wrecking crew for what is otherwise I mean, a pretty, a pretty lame Atlanta offense. Yeah. But when that guy—he's—I'm t- a year ago I was sitting here talking about Freeman that. For me, the Braves would be on, and Freeman was not like must-see TV. Right. Like, I didn't get that feeling. Bases are loaded, late in a game, Freeman's at the plate. This is the guy you want up. He's going to deliver here. But I, I'm the opposite now. If I'm sitting at home and I'm, you know, I'm kind of – maybe I'll have the MLB app on my phone and I'll be sort of paying attention to what's going on with the Braves. And when I see that Freeman's at bat, I'll, I'll stop what I'm watching. I'll flip over to the Braves game and – and watch Freeman hit. He is absolutely must-watch TV right now if you're a Braves fan. And it's so funny. There's a Twitter account called Freezing Cold Takes that I follow, and it just resurfaces sports media people's like cold takes on like you know uh, various things, like uh, somebody tweeting like LeBron James is not the MVP. Or, yeah. You know, just at the stuff time like they're that. hot takes, they turn into cold. Exactly. Ones. And I, I'm, it's only on Twitter, but still, I mean, I feel like. All of us here at the ref, or at least mostly, were questioning why the Braves didn't have Freddie Freeman on the trading block. You know, like he was getting ready to get this huge surge in pay, and the Braves were hitting the reset button. Why wouldn't you get rid of him? Well, hindsight being 2020, that was really dumb. Did you make that? Did it put you on cold takes? No, no, oh, no, right. no. I'm just saying. Well, they, like, I mean, they could have put me on there from last year because if like, I had yeah. tweeted that, you know, it might have shown up. But no, I'm just saying that. 
that that it's perfect for that because yeah, I said it, you said it, they've said it, Jeff probably said it in terms of the Braves should probably trade Freddie Freeman and see what they can get for him because he is probably their most valuable asset. Well, yeah, and I mean, a, a year ago, the with looking at how his salary is structured, and then he's escalated now where he's a $20 million earner, and guys like that, you expect to be MVP caliber players, and a year ago, Freeman didn't look like that, but by the end of last season, he was uh, he was tearing it up. In fact, uh, he looked like a by the end of last season, he looked like a, an MVP candidate then, but obviously the Braves were just a, a lousy team, so... He wasn't getting much attention on that front, but he's definitely front and center now, and he's he's uh, you know he's he's earning that twenty million moniker where he's getting that money, and he he looks like that type of player every bit. A guy like Bryce Harper and all those other ones that make uh, that kind of dough. Yeah, and it was funny too at the start of last season, there were some rumors that Freddie was unsettled. You know that he had seen all of his players that he had come along with, get traded. You know, your Craig Kimbrels, your Angleton Simmons, all of these guys were getting shipped out. And so he was kind of upset at that, and, and maybe he had been sold a false bill of goods, or maybe he had thought he had been sold a false bill of goods, and so maybe he wanted out. But now, I mean, he looks just as dialed in as ever. He seems happy to be in Atlanta, and that's a very good thing because as we've talked about here in this part of the, the podcast, he has been unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely the cornerstone of the future of the franchise, whatever direction it's going to go. Hopefully the uh, team gets him some help, though, with the uh, pitching. Because uh, I think we knew already that these adding these veteran arms was definitely not going to be a long-term solution. But for the most part, those guys have not even pitched well. I know their last starts, both Dickey and Cologne, actually did pitch really well. But those have been the exceptions so far this, uh, this season. So... Uh, you know, and even like the protection in the lineup that they've got where Matt Kemp now is your cleanup hitter as opposed to a year ago when it was Nick Markakis, but you know, I mean, Matt Kemp isn't a long-term uh, fixture there too. So you got to have some other guys coming along in the future, but you know, it is, uh, it's been a blast so far watching Freeman uh, hit. I mean, he's setting, I mean, he's setting the bar where he's got a chance to definitely be one of the, the all-time best that's ever played for the Braves. He certainly does. So that'll wrap things up here for us. On this edition of the Crossover Podcast, San Franco, Chris Brame, always happy to come with you every week with a new episode. So check out 960theref.com for that. And thank you for listening to this episode. And we look forward to bringing you another one next week right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brame on 960theref.com.